Hello, and welcome to a special Here's Johnny's Refuse, my 150th podcast. Yes, folks, 150 of these suckers. The movie I'm doing is by public demand, the horror classic, the icon, and that is The Exorcist 1973. If you are new to my podcast, then welcome, and here's a little bit about me. As I did this thing nearly three years ago, um, but I'm going to redo it. <clears throat> First up, I am a movie buff, but I have no qualifications in film or indeed film debate. In filmmaking, that is, or indeed film debate, I'm just your average John Street, your job law nobody, uh, who just happens to like movies. However, I am very cynical. And one day, while reading reviews for some god-awful horror film, I was watching a watch uh, was giving a rave reviews. I decided sod this bullshit praise and over intense hype crap. It is time for us to stop and take for somebody to actually tell the truth about these movies. I mean, take for instance, It Follows, a terrible movie, over bloated pieces of crap, makes no fucking sense, and is completely a waste of time. Yet this thing is praised to high heavens. And then we have the Bye Bye Man. Again, stupid movie, but it's praise to the high heavens. Why? Because these are millennial horrors. These are designed to jump scare little 12, 13, 14 year olds who have never seen a horror film in their life, or have, but have never seen anything older than, oh, I don't know, five years. Therefore, they have no idea what true horror actually is. So this is why I started this podcast, to actually do movies uh, from a horror buff point of view. Anyway, as I was saying... I started this thing up, so I and bought myself a crappy, cheap microphone, thankfully, and I have a demi-good one now, and started up this podcast, fast forward almost three years and 149 podcasts, and here I am doing the granddaddy of all position movies, The Exorcist, often voted as the, or one of the most scariest movies ever made. Thing is, is it? Or was it just overhyped and had a lot of press surrounding it? from the time, such as reports of people fainting and vomiting and running out of the cinemas in terror, blah, 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 blah. Now, I did watch a documentary at the time, uh, from the time rather, um, about the hysteria surrounding The Exorcist, and I've got to say, it was mostly stoners that they, they pulled out of the crowd that were high as a bloody kite and completely confused and terrorised as this little 12 year old is spewing out vulgarity as well as vomit. So I'm not too sure if this whole people fainting in the, in the aisles and vomiting and stuff and storming out and demanding money back and us was actually real. So moving on. Uh, back to this movie. Is this movie any good? Well, that's why I'm here to find out. Of course, I've seen this movie many, many times. Uh, many, 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 many times before, including three times in the cinema. Back when it was first re-released and uncut by the BBFC in 2003, after the ridiculous quote video nasty band list was lifted and they released all sorts of stuff including Evil Dead, Driller Killer and of course The Exorcist. A funny little story here, as I said I saw this three times in the cinema. Why I hate to ask? Well, the first time I saw this in the cinema it was a late night showing and I fell asleep, waking up, just as the holy water splashed Reagan's leg. Because I was working heavily that day, and decided to go and see a movie, stupidly, at about 11 o'clock at night. So, hmm. 
So I sought again the following weekend and fell asleep yet again waking up at the MRI scene. So I thought third time lucky and saw it again before it left the cinema, this time staying awake throughout the entire film. This thing is a 2 hour and 15 minute bloody movie at a snail's pace and this movie is kind of boring and dull until the final 20 or so minutes. Now I'm not saying this movie is bad, far from it. I'm just saying it's a tad long and very, very slow paced. And god damn you, modern movies for fast editing and destroying my attention span. Anyway, enough about me. On to this film itself, filmed over the span of almost 18 months in the early 70s with a cheery uh, apple cheeked 12 year old in the lead. Here it is, The Exorcist. Which I think she was actually. 14 at the time. Hmm. Moving on. With a $12 million budget, this thing pulled in $441 million over its many, many re-releases and became one of the most notorious horror films ever made. In fact, notorious films ever made full stop. As I said earlier, uh, with stories of people fainting at screenings, uh, the set catching fire, multiple deaths attached to this movie, and the movie started a rise of the of Satan in America. Here it is, The Exorcist, starring Linda Blair, Ellen Bernstein, Max von Sydow, Jason Miller and Lee Jai Cobb, directed by William Friedkin. The plot, set over the span of a year, a preteen girl, the daughter of a famous actress, is possessed by the devil himself. The mother sets it to find a cure for her daughter thinking it's a medical illness until she finally turns to the Catholic Church. Two priests are called in, they exercise the girl and save her soul. So to exercise her girl and save her soul even. Can this be done? However, and who or what will survive? And please note, I am doing this using the quote never before seen cut of the movie on Blu-ray. Uh, and yes, I have all the cuts so there, I mean, like I said, I have, I think it's four or five cuts of this movie. So yes, but I'm using the shiny Blu-ray version. Also, I'll quickly touch on the other movies. Part two is Bugnuts Crazy, literally, as it's all about locust plagues and James Earl Jones being the locust demon Pazuzu. Um, I mean, that's just bloody weird and it's best avoided. Even though Richard Burton tried his best to save this thing, it's a fucking bug nuts mess and avoid it at all costs. Part 3. I've only seen once and didn't really like it, but it's now deemed as a horror classic, so I may revisit this thing later. Parts 4 and 5, which were originally one movie and it was cut into two, I saw in the cinema and don't remember much at all. I remember about is a church in a desert and a possessed bald boy and a Possessed nun or, or sister or doctor, whatever the fuck she was, a nurse. I saw a member of that movie, it's a completely hmm. And is not worth the bloody watch. Quickly, the now cancelled TV show, and I kind of liked the first season until the final three episodes, then it went downhill fast. The second season is just a waste of tape and should not be viewed by anyone. But who cares about them? It's on to the icon. So the movie opens up on shots of a red brick three-story house and the bedroom light turning off. Then a shot of the Virgin Mary statue. And then the bright red full-screen titles kick in, which Insidious ripped off. On to chanting and shots of the rising sun in northern Iraq. 
at a dig site. And he will meet Father Merlin, played by Max von Siddow of the Seventh Seal, Seal, Flash Gordon, Never Never Again, Dune, and Judge Dredd in 1995. Interestingly, he was about 24 here, playing 70-odd, under heavy makeup, and weirdly, that's what it looks like today. How the hell did they know that one? I mean, usually they have these old person's makeup, it doesn't look nothing what they do when they get older. <laughs> but this one looks eerily accurate. <laughs> He's called by a young boy to look at the strange findings they have found in a dig site, a demon head and a St. Christopher meadow from two different time periods. So what does that one all mean then? Hmm. And note the weird sound effects used here is a half a dozen pissed off honeybees trapped in a jar, which is just one of many weird sound effects used in this movie to unnerve you. So listen that day, a Visibly shaking Father Murren is shown taking his heart pills in a busy marketplace. And I have to say, the constant clanging of hammers is annoying as all hell. I guess it's supposed to be symbolism for the devil chipping away at the faith in Father Murren. Cut to Father Murren looking over the items found at the dig site in a museum as the curator takes notes down of the said items, with him saying, quote, evil against evil. Ah, it's a clock and a wall stops. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so, here it is, the start of the supernatural power displayed from the devil. Uh, with that, Father Merlin says his goodbyes and leaves, heading back to the dig site via the market. He's almost run over by a horse-drawn carriage. And note, that is Max von Sydow actually almost getting run over by the bloody horse-drawn carriage. One of many stunts done by the actors for real. Uh, Merlin returns to... Uh, to face the statue of the demon, Pazuzu, I believe he's called, or the devil himself, as it casts shadows over him and indeed the land as stray dogs start to fight. In the setting, setting a desert sun, he knows he must face this demon one more time to stop its evil from taking over the world. Cut to Washington, Georgetown. As we're introduced to Chris McNeil, played by Aaron Bernstein of Requiem for a Dream, The Wicker Man remake, and Interstellar, as she's going over the script for her next movie. She hears rattling noises and scratching coming from the attic, so goes to check it out. Checking on her daughter, she finds her fast asleep, but the bedroom is freezing cold as the window is wide opened. So she closes it and tucks her in. The next morning, she gets her house staff to place mouse traps in the attics. Attic, even attics, attic. Later that morning, in on the busy movie set, Chris has out with the movie director, Burke Dennings, played by Jack McGrown. And note, he died shortly after filming this movie and giving this movie a bad reputation for being cursed, as I believe seven or nine people died, either directly connected or offshoots, such as a cameraman's young baby was killed. Um... Or was it a production assistant's brother was killed and other stuff? I mean, this stuff is weird. I advise you to dig out as many information as you can in this thing and watch all the documentaries. This stuff is fascinating. I mean, I've done this, doing this podcast, um, and some of the stuff is ridiculous. I mean, let me see now. Um, other stuff, such as um, the set bursting and light, sitting on fire, nobody was there and nobody knew uh, who started it or even did what caused it. Uh, other stuff, I mean, people were dying, um, the 
back and moving on, just, just look up yourself and find yourself. Oh yes, and most notoriously, Linda Blair getting death threats from the Catholic Church. I mean, what the feck? Well, not Catholic Church, but Catholics instead. Moving on. Anyway, Chris has out with Burke as to why the script is so bad, with him saying the writer is in Paris fucking. So, Chris uh, acts up the scene, surrounded by hundreds of extras. Uh, the scene looks like it could have been filmed today as there is hundreds of thousands of people chanting weird stuff about, I don't know, keeping water to the campus, etc, etc. This stuff could have been filmed today, as most American campuses will protest about anything and indeed everything. After wrapping up, Chris decides to walk home, as it's a nice late October day. Actually, I think it's actually Halloween, because there's kids dressed in Halloween outfits running past, so... And cue to more bells by Mike Oakenfield. Uh, Oakfield, rather, Oakenfield, or whatever. Uh, note this wasn't supposed to be the music chosen, as the composer had written music for this movie uh, and poured in over 150 hours of work onto this thing, but William Freakin hated it and literally threw it out across the street and called the stuff fucking trash and hence fired the entire music department. And this is the start of William Freakin being a complete fucking lunatic. There's stories about the stuff he did to the actors, uh, taking multiple takes and um, setting off guns on a set. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. Chris returns home to talk to her in-house babysitter. I guess in general, pair. Sharon, played by Kitty Wynn. Uh, she hands Chris her mail, including an invite to the White House. We're introduced to Reagan McNeil, played by Linda Blair, of Exorcist 2, Repossessed, the movie that completely ruined this movie for me, and a fuck ton of B-movie horror movies. She tells her mother she went horse riding that afternoon. And note, this is what Linda Blair did before and indeed after Exorcist, which, according to the documentary I watched, ruined her life. As I said, she got death threats and was stalked by Satanists. I mean, for feck's sake, she was 17, 18. And she had to go on the run for her life because people were sending her death threats. Jesus Christ, America. Cut to a subway and our introduction to Father Keris, played by Jason Miller of Exorcist 3 and multiple B-movie horrors. He's a young priest with a crisis of faith. Not sure if he still wants to be a priest or indeed a psychiatrist. While waiting for a subway train, a homeless ex-auto boy begs for money and cut to the New York streets circa 1972 as Father Keris visits his sick elderly mother. And note, this actress died shortly after filming, adding more to the supposed curse. He has dinner, a bunch up her leg, and then begs her to let him place her in an old folks home, but she simply refuses, saying this is her house and she's going nowhere. Later at night, he leaves, uh, leaving her a hundred dollar bill. And where the Hell does a priest get a hundred dollar bills from? I mean, for crying out loud. Was he dipping into donation time? <laughs> Back in Washington, as Reagan shows her artistic sight to her mother, showing off a clay phoenix she made. Then shows her mother the Ouija board she found in a, a cupboard. Um, she's been playing with, talking to a Captain Howdy. The board doesn't want her to play, as the Platchet flies out of Chrissy's hand. So... Some mother-daughter bonding as Chris tucks in Regan for the night. The two discuss Regan's upcoming 13th birthday party, saying they'll ha have a party and we'll see the sights of Washington. And I thought I actually did have the never-before-seen uncut director's cut of The Exorcist, but apparently not, as this doesn't have the scene of Chris and 
Reagan walking around Washington, seeing the states of Washington. This thing is cut out for some strange reason. Hmm. I mean, there's multiple other stuff being cut out also, such as um, the notorious spider walk as the possessed Reagan runs down the stairs with her back kind of bent in upward position and crawling on her hands and legs. But it cuts before she attacks and bites Chrissy's ankle, so hmm. Anyway, moving on, because this is going to be a long enough bit of the review as it is. Cut to Father Keris in a packed pub, trying to talk to his friend Father Tom, played by Reverend Thomas Birmingham, who was a real priest at one of the two religious consultants on the set. He tells him he feels guilt for leaving his infirm mother in New York and wants a new job, not to be a priest or even a psychiatrist. He just needs to be close to his mother before, well, ultimately she dies. Back to Chris, trying in vain to get her ex on the telephone to wish Reagan a happy birthday. So, Reagan comes from a broken home, has no real father figure, nor mother figure for that matter, and she's been raised by a nanny. She's playing with the occult, and she is preteen. No wonder the devil took her over so bloody well easy. Classic warning signals there. So that night, Chris is awakened from a phone call from Burke telling her she's needed on set. Reagan is next to her complaining about her bed was shaking and violently rocking and indeed she cannot sleep in it. More noise from the attic so Chris goes to investigate alone in a dark attic with a candle. As she checks out the attic she finds nothing but the mouse traps which are being untouched. Her candle explodes in a show of demonic power as her butler, Carl, played by Rudolf Schandor, I think that's how you say his name, asks if she's okay running around in the dark attic all alone, scaring Chris, scaring the bejesus out of Chris even. <laughs> Next morning, at the local church, a priest finds the statue of the Virgin Mary destroyed with clay boobs and a clay penis all bleeding. Was this indeed Reagan had done this? Hmm. On to one of the many scenes of Reagan at a hospital getting tests done on her, this time getting a blood drawn. And note, all these medical tests were actually done for real on Lunder Blair. Up flashes the first of many possessed Reagan faces throughout the movie. Reagan acts up as these tests are being done. The thing is, is she possessed or just a little spoiled brat coming from a broken home demanding attention? Hmm. Doctors tell Chris uh, Reagan has a nervous disorder, and not to worry, it's shown in most preteens. He prescribes her Ritalin and sends Chris on her merry way. A typical bloody American, so just throw drugs at the problem. <sighs> Before that, however, he suggests Reagan might be also depressed, asking if she swears a lot with uh, Chris saying no. She does not have a potty mouth, uh, because apparently she swore at a doctor by telling the doctor to, quote, keep his fingers away from his goddamn cunt, her goddamn cunt even. But, everything is okay and not to worry? What the fuck? I mean, how much money did these doctors milk out of Chris for crying out loud? Cut to Father Keris finding out his uncle put his mother in a mental institute due to her illness, mental illness, and did her leg injury, saying what she was talking to the radio, and was indeed acting weird and strange. Was that the devil that possessed her? Hmm. With the uncle then laying on the guilt to Damien Karras, uh, for being a priest and not a rich psychiatrist who could have afforded a big fancy uh, Manhattan 
partner out for her, apparently. <laughs> yeah, lovely. He sees her strapped to a bed, questioning him why he put her in this mental institute, yet more guilt for uh, for Father Karras. He works off his anger in a local boxing ring. Cut to Chrissy's huge house and Reagan's birthday party at the party. Burke harasses the butler, calling him a Nazi, registered to Father Dyer, played by Reverend William O'Malley, the other religious consultant on the set. A note, he was asked to exercise the set after the set burnt down, but he refused and instead held a mass and blessed multiple people on the set because your reasons? <laughs> we find out here Father Karras's mother died the night before. Chris checks on Reagan to see if she's asleep. Another fact is supposed to be her birthday party, yet she's tucked up in bed and a place is crawling people in their late 40s for crying out loud. Oh, it's a great kid's party, that is. Chris escorts the drunken Burke out. She returns to the smaller party to find Father Dyer holding court on a grand piano, saying his idea of heaven is an all-white nightclub with a grand piano and he's a headliner every single night. Reagan comes down, quote, sleep, sleepwalking, telling them, quote, they're all going to die up there before pissing herself or mother-daughter bonding as Chris bathes Reagan before tucking her in for the night, with Reagan asking what's wrong with her. As she leaves to go downstairs, the party is well and truly over. Chris hears Reagan screaming as Captain Howdy thrashes her about on the bed. Father Dyer visits Father Karras, finding him blaming himself for his mother's death in a drunken rage, so he tucks him in. That night, Father Karras has a nightmare about St. Christopher Meadow from earlier, and his mother walking all alone on the streets of New York. Note, this St. Christopher medal was given to Jason Miller by the old priest to protect himself from the devil's revenge. As the old priest says to him, if you do anything to show the devil's trickery, the devil will exact revenge. The old priest then died mere days later. Cut to more tests being done on Reagan, who is now swelling like a trooper. As is happening, Father Keris is burying his mother. Back at the hospital, the doctors are completely clueless as to why Reagan is playing up, saying it's a, it's her brain. She must have an unknown disorder. They need to run yet more tests. Cut to the one of the most disturbing scenes in the movie for me. Reagan getting a spinal tap. A cat scan type thing using 70s technology and note Linda Blair was actually getting this done. She had this huge ass needle injected into her neck, into her spine indeed. I mean Jesus Christ. Also more sinister than that, the radiologist assistant played by Paul Bateson is the quote trash bag killer, a serial killer from the 70s in New York. I mean really? <laughs> Test come back negative. So Chris calls the hospital for help as Reagan convulses on the bed. Note Linda Blair had a harness attached to her that would make her thrash in the bed. Uh, well, the lacing came loose on the side of it. As she was pulled forward, this thing was cracking her ribs as it's pulling her back. So Linda Blair was really screaming in pain as it completely fucked her ribcage up big time. Reagan is given something to make her sleep as Chris is dragged out of the room. Kristen asked the doctors, how can Reagan be thrashing around, knocking a full-grown man clean across the room with one slap, with the doctor saying it's unknown mental female strength. 
Doctors blow smoke up Chrissy's ass, telling her not to go to shrinks, but to run yet more tests and cue an EEG and another spinal tap as Reagan gets yet more tests running her. The results come back clean, so the doctors ask if she's on drugs. Chris is then told to take Regan to a shrink. Driving home that night, Chris finds her home surrounded by police and a couple of ambulances. Chris enters the house, finding all the lights flashing on and off, as another image of the demonic Regan flashes up on the cooker worktop. Or the cooker top, run. Chris checks on Regan in her bedroom, and the window is smashed out, so she closes the shutters and then tucks Regan back in. Chris shouts at the nanny for leaving Reagan all alone, but she tells her Burke was watching over her as she went to the store to get more Thorazine. <coughs> Could you actually do that? Could you actually buy Thorazine over the counter? Hmm. I guess it was Sandy, so why the hell not? The doorbell is ring off the hook. It's a neighbour telling Chris Burke is dead. As this is happening, Reagan comes down the stairs in the spider walk pose with blood pouring out of her mouth and attacks Chris. The next morning, a shrink is called who hypnotises Reagan, and this sparks off the demon side as it attacks him by crushing his balls. And note, the shrink falls backwards in pain as the camera falls down with him. He did this because the camera was attached to him in a special rig, and it was just designed just for him. And apparently this camera would a bloody fortune. It would a fortune, would a ton, moving on. The next day, Father Karras is out for a run. Here he and indeed us meet Lieutenant William Kinderman, played by Lee W. Lee Jai Cobb. He asks him if he heard about Burke's death, and then what he knows about witchcraft, as it turns out he does, handy that one. Um, he also tells him how Burke actually died, i.e. his head was twisted backwards. The lieutenant saying this is a one in a million chance of happening naturally. He thinks Reagan killed the director. The lieutenant then asks if Karis knows of any mentally ill priests, with Keris saying no, one quick back and forth banter later, and they're now friends as a lieutenant asks out Keris. Okay, what is this lieutenant actually gay? I mean, hmm. He hits on Karis almost immediately, for crying out loud. Anyway, moving on. Back to Chris and Regan at the mental, mental health clinic. As doctors are surprise, surprise, clueless as to watch us controlling Regan. So, a room full of doctors tell her to get a young priest, and an old priest, oh sorry, exorcist. As they think this is a mental disorder, and indeed the ritual of the exorcism would drive Reagan back into sanity. With that, Chris takes Reagan home, as outside Lieutenant Kinderman finds a clay monster in the grass where Burke's dead body was found days earlier. And why the hell wasn't this found originally when the police found the body? I mean, there's a little tuft of grass and he finds it inside the tuft of grass. Really? Anyway, Chris tucks in Regan, who finds a crucifix under Regan's pillow and takes it away with her. Chris pulls aside the butler, asking if he put the crucifix under the pillow. He says no, as outside, Lieutenant climbs the hundred or so stone stairs to find it leads to Regan's bedroom. And note, this house is only a two-storey building, not a three-storey building, as the top part of this is just a facade. It doesn't exist. Chris pulls aside the rest of the staff, but they all deny putting the crucifix under Reagan's pillow. The lieutenant knocks on the door. Chris puts a cross on a hallway table, gives the lieutenant some coffee, then as he discusses Burke's death, Kinnaman outright accuses Reagan of murder. 
that he finds a clay animal made by Reagan in the study and then asks for an autograph for Chris Halloween, a nervous guy. He asks for an autograph after outright accusing her daughter of murdering the bloody alcoholic douchebag director. Crying out loud, the balls in this guy. Chris sees him out. Reagan screams in agony as the devil is poking her with a crucifix. The crucifix from the hallway, that is. So how the hell did the crucifix get from the hallway back up to Reagan's bedroom? Chris runs in, finding Portuguese activity as records and tolls are being thrown around the room. And yes, folks, this is the infamous masturbating with the crucifix scene. And note, the toys flying around the bedroom was done by a clay pigeon launcher. With Reagan bleeding and screaming in pain, Chris tries to take the crucifix away from her, but is bitched up across the room with demonic strength. Note, Ellen Bernstein had a wire attached on her back and was pulled for feet with so much force it broke her coccyx. And she was in traction, I believe, for six or so weeks. And she was extremely pissed off that William Freakin got a quick shot before he called the ambulance. More poltergeist activity as the chair moves to close the door and the dresser attacks Chris. And cue the head spinning and do you know what you're what she did, your canting daughter, from Reagan's mouth in Burke's voice. A note to production crew loved the dummy so much that they took it out on the streets in a taxi cab and freaked out poor people in the early 70s. Stoners, probably. <laughs> Cut to Chris begging Farah Karras for help, asking for an exorcism. He says no and tells her to go to a shrink, but she begs him to see her as a priest. Cut to Reagan strapped to a bed in a now stripped bare bedroom, and I think it's actually a different room, but moving on. Father Karras introduces himself as a friend of Chris. Reagan calls herself the devil himself. He questions this until Reagan uses the old hobo altar boy's voice, asking for help. Reagan tells him his mother is also in the body with her. He asks her if this is true, what is his mother's maiden name? She doesn't answer and just vomits split pea and ham soup mixed with oatmeal in his face. Note, this was supposed to hit Karras on the shoulder, but freaking moved the angle of the vomit machine up to hit Karras clean in the face and this pissed off Jason Miller severely and he always beat up the bloody poor production assistant. And note, it is not actually Linda, Car Linda Carter. Linda Blair, <laughs> I can't think where the car from, doing the vomiting, it's at Eileen Dietz, because apparently the machine was too big for Linda Blair's mouth. Also, the devil's voice is Mercedes McCambridge, who freaking tied to a chair and forced to eat raw eggs and drinking raw scotch whiskey, and got her to chain smoke packets of cigarettes to get that weird demonic voice. Chris cleans Caris's jumper as they talk about Regan with Chris saying she knows her daughter and that thing upstairs is not her daughter. Also, he says he needs proof she's possessed and not just crazy. With that, he leaves as Kinderman watches from across the street. Cut to Karras, listening to recordings of Regan pre-possession. He then holds mass. Cut to Karras recording Regan uh, and the many voices from her, some of which speak Latin, French and indeed backwards English, or speaking in tongues as they say. <laughs> he splashes her with quote holy water, and this kicks off the backward gibberish English. 
it is not holy water, it is actually tap water. As Karis explains to Chris, this is not holy water, but it is being tap water, therefore Reagan is not possessed. Chris tells, tells him Reagan killed Burke Dennings. Cut to Karis listening to recordings with a sound technician, and it's him who tells him it's English backwards. Fear the priest, let her die, and I am no one. Also asking for Merlin. And why would the demon want to have Murin back? If Murin was the one that forced him back into hell, why would he want to take the devil, or to take on the, the priest, or whatever? Sharon calls for help from Karis again, as on Reagan's body is, quote, help me, emblazoned on her lower body. Note, the exorcist was based on a real case from 1940s, except it was also boy, and it lasted five years, not 18 months. Also, the boy changed sex from a boy to a girl. Karis seeks out help from the church, who tell him to find Father Murren. Cut to Murren getting a letter begging for help. That night, in the fog, Murren's taxi pulls up, and he is lit from a spotlight from Reagan's bedroom. Note, this is based off a famous painting, Empire of Light. He introduces himself to Chris, then gets Karis to get the exorcism kit from the church across the street. So, up the priests go to take on the devil. Note, the screaming from Reagan before the priests head upstairs is cows in a slaughterhouse getting killed. And this goes to show you how much of a bastard William Freakin actually was. He also stole a young calf from his mother, and it was the mother screaming to get his calf back. What a bastard. Note, the breath was real in the room Reagan is tied in as it was refrigerated to minus 24 Celsius, with Linda Blair only wearing a thin nightie, and the rest of the crew was in full Arctic wear. And apparently they could only film at 35 minutes at a time, because every time they put the lights on and the cameras, it would heat the room up. So, the breath is no longer seen. In that case, why not just film it in a cold climate, such as Canada? Not bloody New York. Fucking idiot. The exorcism scene took 16 weeks to shoot, and no wonder Linda Blair hates the bloody cold. Cue the, your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis, scene, as a priest tries to force out the devil. The bed rises as a priest pray. Murren throws hot water around the, as the bed rises three feet off the ground. And note, behind the false wall were three burly men lifting the bed off the ground with Linda Blair literally tied to that bed. Terrified, apparently. More prayers and more swearing from Regan and the demon tongue. And note, this is a rubber tongue which was easy for Linda Blair to bob and flick out at Will Ianelli. Also note, the vomit machine is kind of like scuba diving rig with two thin plastic bags either side of the mouth and is held in the mouth as the vomit spews. More head spinning with the really badly superimposed demon head of Regan. The priests get pissed so demand the demon out, but all it does is laugh at them. Then it breaks the bindings and floats six feet off the ground. And note, Linda Blair was tied on a ledge and lifted off the bed using just thin sheets of fishing wire for crying out loud, poor old girl. Also, Linda Blair had that vomit machine in her mouth for one shot as she's spewing over the, the priest's neck, scarf, the fuck that thing's called. And she nearly died as the thing backfired and shot down her throat. Lovely. Regan shouts at Karis. He killed his mother. He left her to die all alone in that cold room. And note, the pure white whole eye contact lenses 
were the easiest to wear, according to Wonder Blair, with the worst being the yellow sunburst ones, as they were solid glass. With the power of Christ compelling you, doing nothing, the priests take a break after Karis ties Reagan's hand together. Not before the demon statue from Iraq shows up and Reagan prays dances to it. Priest rest as Karis asks Murin why Reagan, with Murin saying it's a test of faith and Reagan is an innocent soul. To see that the devil shows we're just animals and not in the presence of God or what the hell it was. Murin leaves to go to the bathroom to take his heart pills so Karis checks out Reagan and here it is he sees his mother tied to the bed. Reagan uses Cassie's mother's voice begging for help, working on his guilt, so Murrin throws him out to deal with the devil himself. The devil gleefully kills Murrin and laughs as Keris tries to get him back. And in the cinema, this was the only thing that actually sent a chill at my back. Was Reagan possessed, giggling and laughing at Murrin's voice? That was it. No mind of vulgarity, no mind of head spinning, no mind of masturbating for crucifix. But this little girl laughing gleefully as it's killed an elderly priest. Karis snaps and punches Reagan. So the demon jumps into his body once it pulls the St. Christopher medallion from his neck. A note, Jason Miller actually hit the bear in the face by mistake, as was the 15th take. Also note, in order to shock and startle the actors, Freakin' would hide guns in and around the set and would fire them off willy-nilly. This pissed off Jason Miller particularly, and he threatened to beat up William Freakin'. The demon tries to get back into Regan, but Karis jumps from the window, diving down the hundred or so solid stone steps to his death. Note, the stunt was done twice by a stuntman, and the steps all had a quarter inch thick rubber on them. That must have been a bastard to film. Also, note, according to Jason Miller, all the kids' neighbourhoods would sell seats on rooftops, as this was filmed for five bucks a pop. Chris and Lieutenant Kidderman run to find Reagan is back, Murrin is dead, and Karis's body is lying at the bottom of the steps, dead. Father Dyer gives Father Karis the last rites as he dies. And note, freaking slap this non-acting priest after 18 takes in a freezing cold night. That's real tears running down his face and his hands actually shaking from fear. The next morning... Chris leaves the house, packs everyone up to head back to Los Angeles. Kidman befriends Father Dyer, God is in heaven, the devil is in hell, and all is well. Or is it? As credits roll. So that was Exorcist, a horror classic. However, if you think this is, quote, the scariest movie ever made, you're wrong. If you want a throw red, you'll be disappointed. This is an early 70s movie, therefore it's slow and plodding. And only the last 20 or so minutes, things actually bloody will happen. This is the granddaddy of all possession movies, however, and is copied multiple times. But this is deeply flawed. N- not for this generation of jump scares. This is a moody, slow, and can pack a punch first time around only, as you see this little 12 year old girl swearing and vomiting and acting like a. Well, moving on. I'm going to give this thing a 666 out of 10. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time or 150th time, thank you again. Indeed, follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod, where I'll put up the occasional poll and you can vote for which movies I will do next. Or email me mood suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Check out my other classic horror franchise podcast of The Omen. 
Psycho, Fly and many more. Also, my solo podcast of Dracula, Prince of Darkness, the John Carpenter movie that is not Dracula, Prince of Darkness, The Shining and many more. A bye. Now we'll have to have some nice split pea soup.